at Luke 4.18, it is not only our goal to preach the gospel, but to sing the gospel. Amen? And boy, we do that. We sing praises to God and then sing thanksgiving for what God has done for each of us. Well, now you, you need to be listening because I'm going to ask you a question. And uh, not that you don't listen, but sometimes you get a little sluggish. <laughs> all right, I want you to, all right, here's the, here it is. <clears throat> Many of us know this song that we learned as a child if we went to Sunday school or church. And maybe many of you did not have that blessing. Or we learned it when our parents taught it to us. And we have never forgot it. And I'm going to give you the first six words of the song. And then I'm going to ask you if you, if you know it. And you've got to be honest now. I don't want any of you cheating. All right, here it is. Jesus loves me. This I know. How many of you know what that is? Well, praise God, we're going to sing it. All right? <laughs> and I put it on the uh, screen so that some of you who uh, did not know it, and it'll just familiarize us with this. So if y'all have put it on the screen, all right, and I'm going to just, uh, I really should have been in the ensemble. I mean, I can't understand that. <laughs> Are you ready? <clears throat> Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong, yes, Jesus loves me. but it had five verses to it. But this is the third one. We're not going to sing the other three. And, and I never had sung this verse. I don't know why we just sang the first verse. I want you to notice the words as we sing this. Jesus loves me, he will say, close beside me all the way. He's prepared a That song is full of profound theology. You know, you say, it's just a simple children's song. No. See, the key to the thing is, how do I know that Jesus loves me? And their answer is, the Bible. Hey, the Bible tells me about the marvelous, amazing, 
eternal love of God. And today I want to speak to you about that. Here's my concern in my own life and in yours. That so many times we know something intellectually. If I were to ask you, and just just in in a casual conversation, do you realize that God loves you? Do you know that God loves you? And your answer to me, most of you, I guess, would say, well, yes, I know God loves me. I know Jesus loves me. I know that they do. But the question is this. Has it gotten out of your head, your intellect, and has it gotten into your spirit? You see, we need to abide in God's love. And that's not just intellectually. That's abiding in our spirit. You say, Brother Fred, what does it mean to abide in the love of God? It means to trust in, to rely on, to know experientially, and to walk in the love of God. No greater security is found for anyone than the fact that as they live their daily life, if they are a child of the living God, that they're walking and abiding in the love of God. On Monday, children of God surrendered to Christ as best we know. We abide in the love of God. We abide in the love of Christ. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And that's where the confidence comes for a child of God to, to, to live with security and confidence in this world. So I, I want to take a great passage and just speak to you about this uh, marvelous, amazing, eternal love of God. Now, I will say this about this message. The first part of it will encourage you as much as any message I could preach to you. It will encourage you if you're a child of God. Then the second part, there's a, little, there's a, a sober warning. There's a sober warning. But then the last part, if I get, have enough time, is I want to answer some questions that you have about why people don't respond to the love of God. Have you ever wondered why people refuse the love of God? Why they reject the sacrifice of Jesus? You ever wondered about that? Well, there's reasons. The Bible tells us why. And I hope I get there in this message. Here's the first thing. I want to read these scriptures, and they'll be on the screen, I hope. And it's 1 Corinthians, excuse me, it is not 1 Corinthians, it's 1 John 4, 7 through 11. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Uh, is this not going to be on this thing I got on my, is the scripture not going to be on this? You know, this thing I got right here? <laughs> right now it says, I will soar with you. I'm going to have trouble soaring if you don't get this thing fixed. <laughs> David? Y'all got me spoiled by having it up here. All right. We're reading 1 John 4, 7 through 11, and verse 16. And I, I want you to listen. Now, this is the Word of God. This is not my opinion. This is not my philosophy. This is the Word of God. I was amused as uh, uh, the, the lady that was married to Frank Gifford. I can't remember her first name. What was it? Kathy, uh, witness to Megan Kelly on television, and Megan was, st- she didn't know what to say. I mean, 
she was talking about how Jesus saved her life and Billy Graham witnessed to her and her children and her husband and they all got saved and, and, and she was just glorifying Jesus and his death and Megan said, well, you know, we have the same philosophy. And Kathy Gifford said, oh no, uh-uh, it ain't a philosophy, it's Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with the philosophy. And I thought, boy, that was a great, great, great answer. All right, I believe in miracles. All right, here we go. I want you to listen to these scriptures. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What a statement. Everyone who who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I want you to not move from that. I want you to underline those words in your heart. God is love. God doesn't have love. He is the, he has the, he's the everlasting eternal one without beginning, without ending. And God in his total character and in his great attribute, it it doesn't say God has love. It says God is is love and God's first response is to respond in love all right it says well how do we know brother Fred God loves us how do we know it I mean what's tangible here it is in this the love of God was manifested oh you're fixing to tell me how I know God loves me I'm listening in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world. Why? That we might live through him. You know how you know God loves you? Jesus came, born in the manger in Bethlehem, grew up in a carpenter shop in, in, in Nazareth, and at 30 years of age began his miraculous ministry to people who taught like no one else has ever taught Raise the, raise the dead, heal the sick, and, 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 and just manifested God's mighty power. But you know, God manifested his son, that uh, only begotten son, that we might live through him. So the manifestation of God's love is Jesus. Now, and, and look at this next verse. In this is love, not that we loved God. And what the, John is just saying of, uh, By the way, he was the beloved disciple of Jesus. He laid his head on the breast of the Son of God. And John said, and this is love. Not that we loved God. We weren't pursuing him. We weren't chasing after him. We were going our own way. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the substitute, the mercy seat with his own blood. He sent his, it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. Then in verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And then we're going to skip all the way down to verse 16. Now, this is where I want you to get today. If I have a purpose in this message, it's it's this verse right here. And it's a very key verse. It says, and we have known. Okay, 
We know the love of God. We know the love of Jesus. We know the cross. We know that he suffered, bled, and died in our place. We, and we have known, but look at the next verse, the next word, and believed. You can know it, but it doesn't get down here. Intellectual knowledge never changed anyone. It never changed anyone. You can know the whole Bible and not know the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul said they searched the scriptures. Jesus said you search the scriptures, but you will not come to me that you might have life. So it's not knowing the love of God. It's believing it. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. Now, do you believe it? I'm asking you. You say yes. Well, we'll find out if you believe it. We have known and believed the love God has for us. This is all the word of God, y'all. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. The first thing I want to speak to you about is God's glorious manifest, the glorious manifestation of God's love. The glorious manifestation. You remember that 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. You know, the attributes of God, God is holy, God is merciful, God is forgiving, God is uh, righteous. Uh, They're all his attributes. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's all-seeing. That's the attributes of God. God is all of that. He does not have that. He is every one of those. God is mercy. God is grace. God is forgiveness. And it says here that God is love, and that is the attribute of God. Listen, if we knew the depth of God's love for us as lost sinners, if we knew the depth of it, how deep it was, I'm telling you, it would greatly, greatly change our lives. It would greatly change our lives. I want to go back up to Ephesians 3, verse um, 18. Uh, And it says, and we may be able to comprehend, understand, experientially. We may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width? How wide? What is the length? How long? And what is the depth and the height that we we may know the, the breadth, length, depth, and height? Now listen, to know the love of Christ. But it says it passes knowledge. You just can't get it intellectually. It passes knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. In other words, if we're going to know the depth of the love of Christ for us, if we are going to abide in his love daily in our life, the Holy Spirit has got to reveal to us the breadth, length, depth, and height. And so that we might know the amazing, marvelous love of God and how he manifested it to us. You know, uh, in John 4, 9, and 10, I read it to you a moment ago. Uh, it, 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 It talked about, for the love of God was manifested toward us when God sent his only begotten son into the world, okay, that we might live through him. And verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us 
and sent his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. But I want to show you the depth of God's love for sinners. You say, well, Brother Fred, we, we, are, we were, all right, and you listen carefully with this, we were all sinners, which means we all at one time in our life were lost, and at one time in our life we practiced sin. So we, we were all sinners. But now when Christ comes into our lives, the Bible says we're a new creation in Christ, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. He that is born of God does not practice sin. His seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So we understand that the depth of God's love for sinners, uh, we were lost and but then we, there's lost sinners and then there are those who are saved and no longer are practicing sin as their lifestyle. Now here's what I want you to see. The depth of his love. I'm going to go to Romans and it's in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, we had no capacity to change our life. We had no capacity to change ourselves. We were without strength. We made, we turned over new leases. We made promises. I'm not ever going to do that again, Lord. I'm not ever going to say that again. I'm not ever going to go there again. I know that's a sin. And we made all kind of promises, but we couldn't keep them because we had a sinful nature from Adam. It says, so we were without strength. I'm telling you, we could not save or change ourselves. So it says, when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were helpless to save ourselves, Christ died for us who were ungodly. Then you go on to verse 8. It says, for scarcely for a righteous man would a person die. Somebody might die for a righteous man. Uh, or one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, one, one would even dare to die. But listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners. Oh, no, wait a minute. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God never said to us, now you clean up your life. You, you quit practicing sin. You quit living that lifestyle. And then I'll tell you what Jesus, what, what, you know, that, that means that you can be saved. Uh-uh, no, no, no. It says, we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to say this to you. Jesus did not see you at your best and go to the cross and die for you. Jesus saw you at your worst and went to the cross and took your place. That's, a, that's the depth of God's love. Much more, it says, it says, much more than having been justified by his blood. All right, stop right there. There are some people don't, don't like to talk about the blood of Jesus. Some people don't like to sing about the blood of Jesus. Some people don't like to magnify the blood of Jesus. Let me tell you something. They need to get saved. I mean, you just put that in your book, okay? Because the Bible calls it the precious blood of Christ. We were redeemed with, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God sees a Christian, he sees him 
him or her through the blood of Christ and he doesn't see their sin for they've been cast into the depths of the sea and God said I will remember them no more what can wash away my sin what's the rest of that hallelujah and so it says here just stay right where we are much more than having been justified his blood we will be saved from wrath through him hallelujah the love of God if you reject it results in the wrath of God if, and, and listen to this. You say, I, I, don't, I don't think I was that. Yes, you were. For if when we were enemies, you say, Brother Fred, I was never an enemy of God. Hey, listen. When you lived for yourself, when you went from your own way, when you broke God's laws, when you violated and committed sin, you were an enemy of God. I was an enemy of God. Oh, yes. An enemy of God. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God. How? By joining the church, getting baptized, being good, doing better, making a new, uh, uh, turning over a new leaf. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to, to God through the death of his son. That is the only way you're ever reconciled to God, through the death of Jesus on the cross. Much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. Well, that's the marvelous manifestation of the glorious love of God. That's the depth of his love. That while we were his enemies, while we didn't have strength, and while we were sinners, Christ died for us and took our place. You know, uh, do you ever think about the price it cost Jesus for you and I to be saved? You know, I, I just said, well, you know, Lord, I know, uh, I know about the cross. But I said, I think I'm going to go back and read a little bit about what Jesus went through so that I could be forgiven. These people could. And, and so I went over to John 19, 1 through 6. It says, so Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, you know what that means. They beat him. With, they, they had a, a whip. With, le- with steel uh, things in the leather, and they beat him on the back 39 times. And, and, and if they beat, beat, beat him 40 times, most time the prisoner would die. So 39 times. <sighs> Cutting deep into the flesh of Jesus. I cannot imagine what it looked like. Pilate had him scourged. Then look, look how they mocked him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. They were mocking Jesus because he, they had asked him if he was a king. And he said, oh, yes, I am a king. He, and he is a king. So they were mocking Jesus. Crown of thorns in his head and purple robe. And look at this. And they said, hail, king of the Jews. And Struck him, slapped him. Can you imagine them slapping the Son of God? I didn't know I was going to hit that mic. <laughs> Made me jump. But they slapped his face. Then they said, Hail the King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out, then went out before them and said to him, Behold, I am bringing him out to you. That you may know, I don't find any fault in Jesus. Pilate says, I don't find any fault in this man. Well, what did these religious people say? 
Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. There Jesus stood, his back beaten to a pulp, with a crown of thorn on his head and a purple robe. And they were mocking him. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him. Now, folks, these are religious people. It was the scribes. It was the Pharisees. Jesus had upset their religion because they said religion was by good works. Religious was by keeping the feast and the ceremonies. And Jesus had just messed up their religion big time. And I'm telling you, when Jesus gets into a church, it messes up religion. I want you to know that. It messes it up big time. Oh, does it ever mess it up? People like everything in order. We'll just go A, B, C, D. We'll read our you know, rituals and, and we'll confess the same thing every Sunday. And, and if, that, if, that, if that's the way they do it, fine. And I'm not, I'm not, I ain't got no ax to grind with them, but I'm telling you, Jesus just upset the, he just messed up the religion of the tribes and Pharisees. So when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. So here was Jesus. He turned them over to the, uh, to the religious people. And you know, I discovered a new verse in the Bible. I, had, I don't ever remember reading this. And I feel like sometimes overnight God will sneak in a new verse. And you know that's not true. But I want you to listen. It's a prophecy. It's going to blow your mind. Because we know this is exactly what happened. In Isaiah 50... Verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. He said, I, I gave them my back. They bit it. They plucked out my be beard. And, and, and then they spit in my face. You know. This was hundred years before, hundreds of years before this happened, and 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 then Jesus went on to say, "The Lord God will help me; therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I will set my face like a flint, and I and and I know that I will not be ashamed." Hundreds of years before, he said, "They're gonna pluck my beard out. They're gonna lash my back. They're gonna spit in my face." Hundreds of years, and that's exactly what they did. So I, I just think sometimes we need to go back and realize that the cross is not just something. It's just not a story. Real things happened on the cross. The sinless, spotless son of God was crucified. And, and, and the worst part of the crucifixion was not his physical suffering. It's when, when it got dark and, and all of our sin were placed on Jesus, all of them were placed on Jesus and the sun blackened out and it got dark as midnight and and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time in eternity the Father had been separated from the Son. Why? Because he couldn't look upon your sin. And he couldn't look upon my sin. My great, more glorious manifestation of the love of God. And you know, uh, if you love God, you're going to love people. In 1 John 4, 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. 
For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You can I, can I tell you something? We live in a world that's like a powder keg. And there's a fuse going to it. Just waiting for some maniac to, to light the fuse and blow it up. Of course, you know what? I'm talking about America. It's filled with hate. It's filled with bitterness. It's filled with unforgiveness. It's filled with a desire to retaliate and to put down. I, I had to quit watching some programs on TV that were political. Because I find myself not liking some people. No, I mean, I really did. In fact, I found myself angry with them. And I find myself, I, I don't know if I hated them or not, but I'll tell you one thing. I wasn't going to eat lunch with them. I'll tell you that right now. I said, you know, God, I don't need this. I need, to, I need to love them. I need to pray for them. I need for you to ask you to have mercy on them. I don't like this. This is not Jesus. I mean, Jesus on the cross to those who crucified him said, Father, forgive them for they know what they're, not what they're doing. So, no, I can't have that. I can't hate anybody. I, I've got to love everybody. Now, uh, loving everybody doesn't mean you approve of everything that they do. You love them as a person created by God in his image for whom Jesus died and whom Jesus wants to forgive and wants to draw them to his bosom. Oh, and so, uh, but, but I'm telling you, I, it, this is a scary world because people are hating each other and killing each other and bitter with each other. And good it, on the workplace, that guy in, in, up in Michigan after that thing down in Florida went in and shot two people. I guess it made him mad at, at the school. But anyway, if, if it, he does not love on the screen, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Well, that's the marvelous manifestation of the love of God. Now, here's the second question I want to ask you. Are you abiding in the love of God? Are you experiencing God's love in your life every day? Now, now please, please listen. We, we can know what the Bible says, and you have to start there. And, and we read it and intellectually say, boy, that's good. That, that's good. That is wonderful. Praise God. And, and, and we know something intellectually. But let me ask you a question. How does it affect the way you live every day of your life? If it doesn't affect the way you live, all it is is intellectual assent to a bunch of truths. For it to affect your daily life, you have to abide. You have to abide in the truth. You have to abide in the love of God. And so the question I ask you how, how is it, knowing that depth of Jesus Christ's love for you, how is it affecting your life every day? All right, here's the verse that I'm praying for us. We have known and believed. 1 John four sixteen. We have known. Man, what a price Jesus paid for me on the cross. Amazing love, how can it be your king would die for me? Oh, the depths of his love, that we might know the breadth, the length, the depth, and height, and know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Oh, 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 that we might abide in that, that we might know that. For we have known and believed. Now, if you really believe how much God loves you, and it gets down in your spirit, it'll affect your life every moment of every day. I'm telling you, 
You'll be amazed how you handle tribulations and trials and difficulties and heartaches and disappointments and failures when you are abiding in the fact Jesus loved me so much that he died on the cross in my place. God raised him from the dead and now I'm saved by his life. It's the life of Jesus in me that, that gives me the power to do the things that God wants me to do and to face the difficulties of this world that I live in. You've got to not only, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. All right, he who abides in love. You've got to abide in his love every day. It wouldn't be a bad thing for you to do when you get up in the morning and, 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 and you've had your glass of water. You thought I was going to say a cup of coffee. You've had your glass of water. And then you say, you know, Lord, I go out to live in this world today. And I want to thank you that I'm going to be abiding in your love. Nothing's going to be able to separate, it from me, separate me from it. And I'm just going to live today with the awareness, my God loves me. My, how Jesus loves me. And he died for me. And today I'm just going to abide in your love, Lord. And everything I face, good or bad, I'm just going to be reminded that I have, I have the Father's love. And I'm able to experience that in my daily walk. Oh, it says you've got to abide in its love. And how is it affecting you in your daily life? <clears throat> you know, um, it tells us in verse 17... I want you to see this. If you're abiding in God's love in 1 John 4, 17, you know what it says? That you're, not ready, that, you're, that you're not afraid to die and you're ready for the judgment. Did you know that? It says it right here. That if we're abiding in the love of God, I, we know that death has no, no claim on us and it's lost its sting. And we know the judgment I, I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but not the great white throne. It says, love has been perfected among us in this. We really are abiding in God's love so that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Right there in the midst of talking about the love of God, he says, now, when God's love is perfected in you, you, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be, so, so abiding in his love that you know that you're not afraid to die. You're concerned about how, but you're not afraid to die. And number two, you know that you're not going to go before the great white throne judgment and be judged for your sin. You see, it is knowing how much God loves us and knowing the love of God, that what Christ did for us on the cross, that prepares us to die and to face the judgment. That's exactly what it says. And so I don't have to go around walk in fear, wondering about, you know, what's going to happen when I die and what's going to happen at the judgment. I don't have to. It's all covered by the love of God. But you've got to abide in it. You've got to abide in it. You've got to believe it. You've got to let it be in your spirit. But you know another thing it says about the love of God? In our daily life, that it not only prepares us for death and the judgment, but it casts out all fear. Now, now, isn't that an amazing statement? In 1 John 4, 18. Now, let me just say one thing. Everybody in this room knows what it is to have fear. Everybody. I mean, there's no question about it. 
I believe that Satan's greatest weapon against the child of God is fear. Fear, F-E-A-R. And so we, we, we face it every day. Well, how do, you, how do you handle the everyday fears of life? The economic fears, the marital fears, the children fears, the job fears. How do you, how do you manage uh, uh, the, the, the unpaid bill fears? How, how, do you, how do you handle that? How do you handle that? All right, it says here in 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love. Well, if I'm abiding in God's love, I don't have to be afraid. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Well, thank you, Lord. In other words, I can just cast that fear aside. I know how much you love me, Jesus. Why should I be afraid? Why should I be tormented by fear? Look at what it says in that verse. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Oh, is that an understatement? When you're gripped by fear in any area of your life, you are tormented. It'll torment you. My God, it, I, I mean, I hate what fear does to people. I hate what it did to me when I was 19 years of age. I was in torment for a year, living with the same fear. Oh, my God. I'm telling you, it was. It, and, but I'm just saying to you that not only did abiding in God's love prepares to dine for the judgment, but it enables us to just cast out in the name of Jesus and in the power of his love all the fears that are tormenting us. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. Well, let me just say this. Abiding in the love of Christ, we can face anything. I want to show you a scripture in Romans 8, 14 through 16. And it talks about, I want you to let this get in your spirit. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. All right? Now, now here it is. Listen. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. God did not give you the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by which you cry, Our Father. He said you didn't receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. And, and you know, God is your father. And he's a good, good father. God is your father. And, and he said, we're not in bondage. We're not in bondage to fear because we have the spirit of adoption. God's adopted us into his family. And we say, our father, our father, you're a loving father. You're a good father. You always care for your children. Why should I ever be afraid, Lord? Talks about he, and then you go on in, in the great declaration in Romans 8, 31 and 32. I want you to listen to this. <laughs> Boy, if, you, if we believe this, I, I'm telling you the honest truth. We, we, we could live with such confidence. If we abide in this, it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, do you believe as a child of God, you've repented of your sins? 
You've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're not perfect, but you've been changed. You no longer practice sin. You practice righteousness. I want to ask you this. Do you believe? Go back to that verse before. Do you believe that it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, we'll get up in the morning and say, Father, I am so thankful that I'm going to abide in your love today. And it's, all, it's going to be all that I need for anything I face. And Lord, I just want to praise you that you're for me and not against me. Whew, that's pretty strong, Lord. That's pretty strong. God plus one's a majority. And Lord, God, I want to praise you that you're for me and not against me. That's a part of his love. And it says um, in the next verse, what shall we say to these things? He, he who did not spare his own son. You want to know if God's for you? You want to know it? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? I'm going to read it again. He who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not freely give us all things? And then the great declaration, we read it over and over again. We read it, uh, uh, it, it, it a lot of times at funerals. And j- just, it says, listen to what it says. Now, do you believe this? I am persuaded. Oh, I'm persuaded. I'm abiding in his love. I'm not just not here, but it's here. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, or things to come, future. nor, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. That's exactly what it says. And then he goes on down and, and, and speaks in, in kind of some words that, uh, 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 well, maybe that was the last part of that. Uh, but anyway, height nor depth nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God. All right. So, are you abiding in Christ's love every day of your life? Are you abiding in his love? Are you abiding in his love okay all right now i've got a hard decision to make here all right i think i can do it i get it through in the next 15 minutes here's what i want to say god's love in christ his perfect sacrifice on the cross has blockaded the road to hell, and blockaded the door to hell. God's love and the perfect sacrifice in Jesus Christ has blockaded the road to hell and has uh, blockaded the door of hell. The big question is, why would a loving God ever send anybody to hell? That's the favorite question of somebody that's dying and going to hell. That's what they ask you for. Well, why would a loving God ever send anybody to hell? Because they choose to go there. Listen to this. First John, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. People go to hell not because God sent them there just because he didn't like them. People go to hell because they refuse the love of God. They refuse the sacrifice of Christ. And let me tell you something. God's done everything he can to keep you out of hell. Everything. Jesus died, rose again, and lives to forgive you and give you the power to live the Christian life. So he's blockaded the road to hell. Let me give you a verse here in 2 Peter 3, 9. God is willing. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing. God's very long-suffering toward us that any should perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish. Look, he doesn't want you to perish. Why do you think he sent Jesus? Well, I'm going to send Jesus so they'll perish. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It says God's, uh, this is, God is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repent of your sins, turn away from them by the power of Jesus Christ, place your life in Jesus' hands, and you just escape the damnation of hell. Brother Fred, you mean you believe in hell? That's not popular. Only 3% of the people in America believe in hell. That ain't changed a thing. God's not going to have a vote on it. Did you know that? Listen, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Am I glad that anybody is going to hell? No. I have been spent 60 years of my life preaching and praying, trying to keep people out of hell. Oh, no. Uh Uh-uh. Man, it breaks my heart, the thought that anyone in this room would refuse the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ and would end up in hell. Well, I'm going to read 26, one one more verse, and I'm going to get to finish it by answering this question. All right, I want you to to look up Scripture uh, uh, where it talked about, well, uh, 10-12, But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus made one sacrifice for sin. Everything that needed to be done for you to be forgiven, to be saved, to live saved. And it's already been done. It's already been done. Already been done. By one offering, he perfected forever those who've been uh, uh, sanctified. But now here's the sober thing I said I was going to say. What if somebody refuses God's love? What if somebody rejects the sacrifice of Jesus? Does the Bible say anything about those who reject God's love and reject the sacrifice of Jesus? Oh, yes. I'm just going to read it, and then I want to give you five reasons real quick why people reject Christ. If we sin willfully, that's the only kind of sin it is. Well, I I, I didn't mean to. I mean, come on. There's no other kind of sin than willful sin. If we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, we know that Jesus made the perfect sacrifice for sin. But if we go on sinning, after we know the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. The one sacrifice for sin, Jesus, 
made one sacrifice for sin forever and sat down. But if we know that and we reject that sacrifice, we reject, reject it, then there's no other sacrifice. There's no other way. So we rejected that. And then it says, if they rejected it, 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 it says, but there's a, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. He goes on and says, anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two, three witnesses. All right, how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought who has trampled the Son of God under their feet, counted the blood of the covenant with which you were sanctified an, an unholy thing, and insulted, insulted the grace of God? They trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of his covenant as an unholy thing, and they uh, insulted the grace of God. For we know it, he said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. And look at the next one. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right, now if you listen fast, we're going to get it. Here we go. Why do people reject God's love? Why do they refuse God's love? Why do they refuse the precious blood and sacrifice? Why do people refuse the love of God? My heavens, God loves them so much. He only wants what's best for them. The devils came to steal, kill, and destroy. But God came that we might have life. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Why in this world would anybody just refuse the love of God and reject the sacrifice of the Son of God? Why? They love the darkness. Satan is the prince of darkness. And it's a dark world out there with every kind of sin you can imagine. And you know the Bible says that there are some people who hate the light and love the darkness. Listen to John 3.19. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. And it goes on and says that... that uh, and everyone practicing evil hates the light and will not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. So why do people refuse the love of God and reject the Son of God and His precious sacrifice? They love the darkness and hate the light. Second question, second reason people refuse the love of God. They love their sin. They just love their sin. It was said of Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty four, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen to this. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know, there, there, there is, uh, the Bible says that people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And, and some people think there's pleasure in sin, and perhaps it is. I mean, pleasure in sin satisfies their fleshly desires and fleshly wants, and 
the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. And I'll be very frank with you. I've had people say to me, hey, I'm not willing to give up my sin. So you're going to refuse the love of God. You reject, yeah, I, I love my sin. I get pleasure in it. You say, man, well, that's the reason why some people refuse his love. The third reason, it's only five, is that um, they're deceived. The devil has blinded their minds. Let me give you one verse, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, whose mind's the God of this age, little g, Satan, whose mind's the God of this age has blinded. <clears throat> Some people refuse the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ because Satan has blinded their minds. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine in them. Man, they're deceived. Satan's blinded their minds. And our prayer must be that the Holy Spirit will have a breakthrough and God would bring them to the place that they could receive the grace of God and the love of God. But the reason they don't now, they're blinded, they're deceived. All right, here's the next thing. The love of this world. This is the love of this world. They, they love this world and they feel very comfortable in this world and they don't want anybody to upset their world. They got their world all figured out. They got this, this, and this. And man, they rocking and rolling, you know. I mean, they just, whatever it is, whatever it is. Well, the love of the world will cause people to reject Christ and get, refuse God's love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's not talking about the created world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, the love of God is not in you. I'm not talking about the created world. I love the water. I love fish. I love golf courses. I love a lot of things in this world. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good things, man. You know, but, but, but all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's what it is. This is the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father. It is of the world. And if you love the world, you do not have the love of God in you. And some people reject, refuse God's love because they, and, and re, re, refuse Jesus' sacrifice because they love the world. And here's, uh, here's the last one. Man, I'm three, I'm three minutes ahead. It's 10.57. Praise the Lord. It was impossible for you to say all this in this time. You say it wasn't that short, Brother Fred, what you're talking about. But anyway, hey, looking at the last reason. They think they've got plenty of time. Oh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I, I know I need to do something. I'm thinking about it. I've got plenty of time, Brother Fred. I know God loves me. I need to receive it. And I know Jesus died for me and took my place. I know. But, man, I love my sin. And, and I, I love this world. You know, and, and I, I just think I can give it up. I, all right, you, I got plenty of time. We'll listen to this verse. It's in James chapter 4, verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, may I say that is exactly right. Your life can change with one phone call. One phone call. It will be a call back from the doctor and said, I'll let you know the results of the test in a week. But he calls you and says, no, you need to come back this afternoon. That is not good news. Your whole life can be wrecked, wrecked. And, and, and within an hour, and you're saying, well, I've got plenty of time. 
I've got plenty of time. He says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. I don't. But what is your life? It is even a vapor. Ooh. My life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. (laughs) Your life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You don't have plenty of time. You do not know what tomorrow holds. 